So today we're in the last Sunday of uncomfortable and really just understand this, that there's, that there's things in life that we do that are uncomfortable. We, and we don't do them because we enjoy being uncomfortable. We do them because we know that it's important that we do those things, you know. That sometimes getting up in the morning for some of you to start your day, well, that's uncomfortable. You'd rather, you know, you were up late the night before or you didn't sleep well or something. You're like, oh, my, the alarm clock's going off and I've only had two hours of sleep and it's uncomfortable. But you do it because you know it's important that you make that next step to do what you need to do. Or maybe you go to the doctor and it's uncomfortable. Or, you know, sometimes you look in the mirror and it's uncomfortable. But we do it not because, not because that um, necessarily it's uncomfortable, but because we need to do it. Community is something that may be uncomfortable for you. And at some level, community and all of its complexities can be uncomfortable for many of us, certain aspects of it. And yet, we need to do it because it's vital to our, our life on earth and our eternity community. And I, I, you know, the, the, the character, and I can't remember who she was, but the lady, the woman, and was it Snow White? Snow White was the queen or the witch or somebody, or maybe it's a combination. I can't remember. It's been 40 years, probably or 45 or something like that, Bill, since I've watched Snow White. The girls haven't lured me into that one yet. But I know she looks in it, and she says, mirror, mirror, on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? She's looking in the mirror, looking to get a confirmation of who she thinks she is. Here's the problems. Mirrors don't lie. Unless you go to that funny mirror at the, at the, at the fair or the carnival or something that makes you look tall and you're not or makes you look short and you're tall, mirrors don't lie they they give back to you what you put into them when you when you ref, when you look into the mirror for a reflection you get exactly what is here back to you reversed right you get it back and i think that so many times we will look in no doubt everybody in here looked in a mirror this morning before you came here if you didn't you need to if your hair is sticking up on one side, we know that you didn't. I'm just saying that everybody ought to look. I think you ought to get in a full leak mirror and just look at yourself before you go out just to make sure everything is right. Right. Before I ever come out here, I mean, I do before I get here, I look in the mirror and make sure. Am I like together like I need to be? Is my hair sticking up real high someplace? I'm playing. But I do. And it's, it's, it's a little bit of a self-evaluation checking to see is the image that that I think I've I'm putting out here is it really out here right or, or you know or, or is, is this kind of thing going on and I walk in here hopefully somebody hopefully if somebody comes to me and says hey pastor let me fix that for you I'd be okay with it because I don't want to walk around like that all the time right but a mirror lets you know what's wrong in your life like what's wrong with you, not your life, but personally, what's, what's, what's wrong with your appearance? And I, and I think this, and you can jot this down if you're taking notes, your view of self directly impacts the community that is developed around you. Your view of yourself directly impacts the community that, that develops around you. How we view ourselves is how we're going to interact with other people. 
Because, because that self-evaluation, and the Bible speaks many times, and I won't get to all this today, but speaks many times about um, not to have a proud, uh, in the KJV at one point it says a, a haughty look. We don't use that word a lot in our vocabulary today. Not to be in a place of, of condescension where you're looking down on everyone else because you've set yourself up. In the, in the New Testament it says that we shouldn't think more highly than our, of ourselves than, than we should, that we should have a, a, a certain place in life that, that we have a, an understanding of who we are that is the right kind of image. But, but how do we figure that out? Well, 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5 says this, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Everybody say examine. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? That, that, that the, the, the writer in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5 is saying, we're to examine ourselves. Now, that's, he's not, Paul's not the only one there to say that at that time. He'll say it other times. In fact, that idea of, of self-evaluation, self-examination, well, it's important. And here, it's even to the point, where are you at in your faith with Jesus? Jesus is in you. Your identity is derived from who he is, should be. But how? examine yourself. James chapter 1, verse 23 said, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So, the, so the, uh, the idea is that when we look into the Word of God, well, the reflection there is what we should get. When we look into Jesus as the Word, our identity should come from there. And that we walk in that, that we don't, we don't view it and walk away. Now, I think we're in one of the most biblically, in America, one of the most biblically illiterate times that we've ever been in as a nation. Less people know the word, read the word, have the word in them than maybe at any time in history. And so, therefore, people's view of themselves is altogether different than what it should be. Now, I'm talking about the church, but, but certainly it goes beyond the church. I don't expect the world to act like the church. I don't expect the church to act like the world either. But I'm just saying this, that, that when it comes to the church, so many people are biblically illiterate. And, you know, it was, it's, it's men and women who have given their lives so that we could have this book. Because at one time, you were just told from here, right? This, this, is, what, this is what you need to do. And people could manipulate and twist and do whatever they wanted. And men and women gave their lives so that you could have the Word of God in your possession, that you could read it, that you could study it, that you could memorize it, so that... The mirror of the Word of God would be the reflection of who you are, right? That, that when I pick this up, it should be mirror, mirror. Tell me who, tell me who I should be. Bring correction. Fix, fix my collar that's, that's not right. Fix my life that's out of, out of sync with who you've called me to be. And, uh, and I think that when we understand that the Word of God is a mirror that the Holy Spirit uses to enable us for growth, 
for health, and here's, here's a word I want to drop on you. You might want to jot it down. Maturity. Maturity. I think that one of the most important parts of, of interacting with other people in community is my personal maturity. Now, when I say that, uh, don't think that this is some uh, self-help. Jesus, you know, Jesus matured. Jesus didn't say the same. Uh, the scriptures tell us that he grew. He grew in his um, in his stature with men. He grew. He grew physically. He grew as a human. He was already fully developed as far as the divinity that that his earthly body housed. But but he grew as a human, and all of us do that. In fact, if I if I show you this um, little Isaac that we just got to see and and meet at a certain level today, if you if you put Isaac just here in a chair, and we started church, and I said, everybody go greet everybody. Oh, Isaac's not greeting anybody. We know that. It's not profound. B babies, infants, they don't have any way to choose community at all. It's whatever they get is what they've got. The parents that you got is just who you got. Your kids got you. Praise God. Nobody could be the parent to your kid like you can. I just want you to understand this, though, but that child can't develop community, that infant, that baby. In fact, a toddler struggles at it. You put some toddlers playing together, you ever seen how they, how they have community? They play together really good. You think, oh, everything's good, and then all of a sudden one of them clobbers the other one. Like, what happened? They took their toy. I don't know. They looked at him cross-eyed. I don't know what happened. They just decided that our little Olivia, she's not two years old yet, but even months ago, every once in a while, she'd just, like, get upset with one of the other siblings and just push them away. <laughs> like, where did she learn that? Let me show you something. She didn't learn, and she's learning, but she hasn't totally learned, and she didn't learn maybe that from anyone as a, as a toddler. She didn't exactly know how to do community. She's going to have to learn. You had to learn. Some of you are still learning. Anybody still learning? It's, a, it's, an ongoing, it's an ongoing growth, but, but, you know, we mature as humans. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I'd have, I'd have kids, you know, they'd come in looking like whatever for a while. And then one day, I noticed it this, a couple of weeks ago, my nephew was over here. And my nephew kept his hair all cut short, just almost buzzed off all the time, which I don't know anybody would do that, but that's okay if you have perfectly good hair. He's 16, I think, 17, 18, somewhere in there. I can't remember now. We just had one of his birthdays. I think he's 18. Anyways, he's senior in high school. But I noticed the last time from, I hadn't seen him in months because he lives in Ohio. The last time I, I saw him, he walks in, and he's got his hair all curled up here in the front. I'm like, what in the world are you doing? I gave him a hard time. Well, I know what's happened. He's growing up to the point now that he realizes there's a, there are girls in the world. <laughs> he's trying to fix it up all fancy because he, he, he thinks somehow that's going to, Right? I remember as a youth pastor, kids would walk in, they'd I'd see their hair change. Or you'd have the youth group all there, all, all together, you know, and all of a sudden it's like, whose grandpa's here? Because you smell Old Spice. It's like Mr. Old Spice walked in the room. He just walks in because he's got a hold of some of his dad's cologne or something. He's, he's put so much on you can't breathe in the room because he's growing up a little bit. And then work, so working with, with high schoolers, and adults, but I'll, I'll, I'll stick to high schoolers for a minute. 
working with high schoolers, you get a kid and you're thinking, man, this kid's got, like, he's so mature. You can trust him. Just so good. And then all of a sudden, it does something that seems so immature because there's different levels of maturity. We all know that, right? There's intellectual maturity. You're, you're, you'll run into somebody and they can just give you all the, all the answers and all the stuff and they're very knowledgeable, and yet maybe they're immature emotionally or they're immature in their social skills to, to interact with other people. And so maturity is so important. And I'll link this word, word to it because if we're not maturing, then we're not healthy. Right? You know, I'm just saying, if 85-year-old grandma came up here and she had a little miniskirt up to here, I'm not saying, any, I'm not saying anybody should be wearing, wearing miniskirts, but I'm just saying this, that we would say, Grandma, you should be maturing a little bit beyond that. You catch what I'm saying? And if you're 85 and got a miniskirt, please don't take it personally. I didn't notice it. Because there's a health, there's a, there's a, a health acts aspect of maturity. Maturity begins, I like this, uh, John McNaughton said this, maturity begins to grow when you can sense your concern for others outweighing your concern for self. So as I, as I develop and grow in community, that my, my concern for self is the ministry. That's, what, that's why grandparents really don't care what they get for Christmas, but they're all consumed with what they can give for Christmas. It's a maturity thing. Some of you grandparents, you're hearing what I'm saying. Uh, Chuck Swindoll said, one of the marks of maturity is the ability to disagree without becoming disagreeable. Oh, my. If that statement is true, we're in a very immature world. Are you with me? Right? One of the most... One of, the, one of the marks of maturity is the ability to disagree without becoming disagreeable. In community, there will be people in your community, and there should be that you disagree with, but that you get along with even though you disagree, that, you, that you're able to do life with even though somebody, somebody the other day, they, they sent me a picture of, of uh, well, I'm going to say Fred Sanford and Archie Bunker. It was Carol Connor and Red Fox, and they were together at a place. And I said, you know, if Fred and Archie was all we had to worry about in the world, it'd be simpler, wouldn't it? I just went over a lot of people's heads because I know that's a, that's, a, that's a generational thing. You'll, ha you'll have to look up Fred Sanford and Archie Bunker. I'm not saying I agree with anything they ever said. I'm just saying this, that when you can disagree and not be disagreeable, that's a mark of maturity. I think, I think that, that when you can be trusted to do a job, without being supervised, that's a mark of maturity. When, when you can finish something that you started, that's a mark of maturity. That's why when I was a teenager and worked at Kmart, all the managers there had college degrees. Well, you didn't have to be a, have a college degree to be a manager at Kmart. They just hired those folks because they thought they were mature enough to start something and complete it, in my opinion. Maturity is when you can have money in your pocket and not spend it. I remember in high school, I, I don't know, I got 40 or $50, a little job I worked at a week, and sometimes I could spend the whole thing in two days. Immaturity. I bought Hot Rod magazines and stuff, that's whatever, comic books, whatever it was. Maturity. So here's the title this morning, Your Engagement. My title's Mirror, Mirror, but here's the, here's the subtitle, if you will. Your Engagement in Community is Impacted by your health 
and maturity, your engagement. And I want to talk, first of all, about spiritual health. I'm going to look at the time because last week my time was up and I was just on point two. So, so here, here's, the, here's the thing you've got to understand, first of all. Maturity takes, spiritual maturity takes time. Don't think that you can go from, from zero to 60 without spending some time developing you. And understand this, you won't engage in community very well if you're spiritually immature. I'm talking about in the community of faith, if you're spiritually immature, you'll have struggles. Time, it takes lessons, which comes from teachers. Also, and I talked about it last week, spiritual mentors, spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers in your life, inviting those people in. It's one of the building blocks. If you weren't here last week, go listen to the the message, it'll, it'll dovetail with today very well, that it requires those, because uh, they're building box, blocks of community. And for your maturity, it's going to take those people in your life. Also, um, it takes failure. Maturity doesn't come without failure. And, and understand this, failure isn't final. Failure isn't the end. Every person that's ever, I mean, it's, it's the little kid that's going to grow up enough to ride a bicycle that's going to fall and scrape their knee. And I know we pat them all up and put helmets on them, all kinds of stuff today. But, but still, they're going to fall and get hurt. I, I got a road bike a few years ago, and I started riding a little bit, and you had to lock your feet into the pedals. That's the craziest thing. Because what happens is when you don't know how to get your feet out of those quick, you fall over when you stop. And I'm telling you, I've already fell over. I had my time of falling off a bike years ago. Like, I don't want to fall now at my age. But I, I had to mature and grow in that area. And it took some failure. It also takes this spiritual maturity, takes developing some self-awareness. That's why, that's why the mirror, that's why God's word is so important. That's why having people in your life to speak in your life is so important so that you can receive correction because you don't have it all correct right now. Let me help you for a minute. You have not arrived. The apostle Paul, in all of his growth and all of his development and, and the sheer person that he was, said, I, I, I've not apprehended. I've not arrived. I still got some development to do. And so it's self-awareness to know I need to grow. And many times, here's where spiritual maturity is so important, that in community, when you're dealing with sometimes, many times it's me. It's me that needs to grow up in that. Here's, here's what it says in Hebrews 5. Uh, in the Living Bible, it says, you have been Christians a long time now. That's a good one to underline. And you ought to be teaching others, but instead you have dropped back to the, the place where you need someone to teach you all over again the very first principles in God's Word. You are like babies who can drink only milk, not old enough for solid food. And when a person is still living on milk, it shows he isn't very far along in the Christian life and doesn't know much about the difference between right and wrong. He's still a baby Christian. It's important to understand here it is in the Word of God that, that we're going to grow from, from milk to eating the meat, and that should be the, a development process that occurs in our spiritual walk. First Peter 
uh, 2.1 describes it like this, wherefore laying aside all malice and, and, uh, and, and uh, all guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings. Uh, verse, verse 2, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. You are coming. I love what it says here. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are the living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. So Jesus had experience in community. By the way, Jesus had community around him. Jesus chose to have people in his life. And, and here, Peter's saying, put, put away all these things in your life, that, that the malice, the envy, the jealousy, the stuff that keeps you from getting along with others. Grow. And, and as, a, as a newborn believer, well, you should desire the milk. And the writer in Hebrews says there should be some development that causes you to want the word. It's like, you remember the pizzerias where they used to really, like you could watch them make the pizza? It may be because, you know, now you just like they, you call the place and they, somebody brings you something real fast or slow or whatever in a box. But used to you go to the place and there'd be a guy back there and he'd have this dough and he's like hammering it and doing stuff to it. And then, and then I always loved it as a kid. They'd flip it up on one finger and they'd spin it. If you ever see that, it's just, it's just, it's a beautiful sight. Now, now you're not thinking about the dough. You're really not thinking about the dough. You're not thinking the dough is going to be good. Oh, I can't wait for the dough. You're thinking about the pepperoni and the sausage. And, you know, when I, when I was young, I ate it all, like the mushrooms and the peppers and the onions. And I remember in the 70s, it seemed like anchovies was a big thing. I don't even know if you can still get them now. They put the anchovies on there and the whole thing, and it was a beautiful. You're thinking about all the stuff, the cheese. The cheese where it's, you know, when you pull it, like, you know, it tries to pull the other pieces with it because it's like pizza is a beautiful picture of community, right? It doesn't want to let go. It's just stuck. To and, and, and all the stuff, all the stuff. But I want to tell you, if the guy back there making the dough, they tell me, you ever get that pizza and you bite into it and it's just like something's not right in the middle of the crust? It's because the guy chose not to get in there at like 5 in the morning and work on the dough. Right? They got in there too late and didn't have enough time to rise. And, and so, so here's the deal. The, the pizza guy, right, he understands the dough is so important because if you don't get the dough right, well, the toppings don't matter. And, you, and let me show you this, that in your spiritual maturity, the dough, the dough is the spiritual part of it. There's other stuff in life you're going to, you're going to grow in. You're going to be beautiful. Other people are going to like them and all that stuff. But if you don't get the dough right, and the dough means this, because the guy back here, he's beating up on it. What's the word they use? Uh, kneading it, killing it, whatever, spinning it, doing all, flattening it out, all the stuff. Well, that's what happens, needs to happen to us spiritually, that we're in the Lord's hand. The Bible uses this in the Old Testament, the idea of, of, of the clay in the hand of the potter, that, that he's working in us the work that will bring maturity spiritually in our life. And so we've got to apply ourselves. Everybody say apply. Apply yourself to growing spiritually. If you're taking notes, write it down. 
I need to apply myself to grow spiritually because when I do, I will attract people who are growing spiritually, who desire to grow. I'll attract the Paul. I'll attract the Barnabas. I'll attract the Timothy. And, and you know, all the toxic kind of things that, that people get filled with in your life, well, those people will then notice your growth and they'll either say, I want some of that, or they'll back off from you because they don't want any part of it. And toxicity becomes minimal when you make a decision that you want to grow spiritually. Another area of growth that's so important in maturity is, is that of emotional health. And I think emotions, well, the church has trouble dealing with emotions because um, Emotions are important. Let me, let me say this first of all. I've, I've heard people say so much about negative about emotions, emotions and, and I just want to go the positive route first. You were created with emotions. Seems to me when I read about God that God has emotions. We were created in his image. And so we're created with emotions. Emotions aren't bad. Uh, but you can't ignore them because they are real. And so some folks would say, never be emotional. We shouldn't let emotions be present because they're evil. Or Well, no, emotions are real. Emotions can be helpful. And uh, I, I, I think that it's a scary truth that sometimes people may be 25 or 35 or 45 or 55 or 65 or 75 years old, but still be an emotional and spiritual child. And so that's why we have to we have to step in to this as believers, and when we want to grow in community in the uncomfortable places of community, looking looking at ourselves, where am I at with emotional and spiritual health in my life? Because it's impossible. Everybody say impossible. We'll make sure you get this. It's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. You can, you can, there's a book, emotional spiritual health. Encourage anyone to read it, Peter Scazzaro. You can't can't be spiritually mature and emotionally immature. What you'll find is you'll find a lot of heartache and disappointment in that, especially when it comes to dealing with people. And ignoring, as I said earlier a few minutes ago, ignoring our emotions, well, emotions, that's not the answer. Um, You can't turn your back on reality. Emotions are real. Uh, Understand your emotions. Here, let me help you. Don't let your emotions lead you. That's a mistake. Because, you, you know, you, you may be mad at someone and, and as a toddler, as I said earlier, and clobber, a toddler wants to clobber because the, they're mad at them. Well, as a human, as an adult, human, well, you can't clobber people just because you're mad about it in general, let alone as believers. Proverbs 29, 11 says this, a fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. So keeping my emotions in check, in place, Proverbs 14, 30 in the NIV says, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. So, so there is a place for emotions, emotions in our life, and there's a, there's a place of control, of understanding what those, uh, um, that they shouldn't be uncontrolled, um, but if we don't come face-to-face with them, well, then we, we remain immature. And uh, we can't deny our pain, our losses, our hurt, the wounded places in our life. you got to face up to those in life. To continue to say, well, it's okay, it's okay. When it's not okay, you're telling yourself a lie. 
And, and you got to deal with that. And, and I would encourage you. I don't know. We're still getting people in. Is people still getting in freedom? Can they still get in? Is it okay? Okay, so you can still get in freedom. It's one of the one of the groups. I encourage you. If you say, hey, there's some stuff in my life that I've just not dealt with. Because let me show you something. All of us have baggage. We just do. Sometimes you uncover baggage in, in your and you're just journeying through life. You realize, oh, I've got that. Anybody ever have that aha moment where, where you've been thinking something for so long and then one day you find out what you were thinking was altogether not true and, and not realistic? And then, oh. I remember years ago I thought, I thought well, you know, this is just something simple, but maybe it illustrate the point. I, I would drink Pepsi with everything, you know. And then I remember when I quit drinking Pepsi, soda, pop, whatever you call it, Coke, whatever it is, and I quit drinking it. I remember eating pizza the first time. I'm kind of on a pizza thing today, I guess. And I thought, man, how am I going to eat this without? I can't eat this without having having Coke. I remember my dad telling me, he said, yeah, we're eating fried chicken in his house. He said, yeah, you, you got to have something uh, uh, fizzy to to help with the grease of the fried chicken. I thought, maybe I shouldn't be eating either one. And then I had this moment where I had water with my pizza, and it was all okay. And in my mind, I'd figured out there's no way I could do that. Are you, and it's something simple, but I'm telling you, in life sometimes you have a thought that is altogether wrong based on an emotion that's led you when you, you've got you to be led by action, not by emotions, and keep your emotions in check and in control, but face them. Face them and deal with them. Every time I make an assumption about someone who's hurt or disappointed uh, me without confirming that, uh, I'm, I, I'm, I can be believing a lie about that person and a stronghold builds up in my, and which is maybe not even true. And then the dangerous part is I may make other people feel the same way simply because of the emotions that I have that I haven't dealt with. That's what the Bible says. You have a problem with someone, go to them. Go to them. And, and there's a right way to go to somebody. I remember when I was a young pastor, I remember one time some guy told me, somebody said something about him. I said, well, come with me. We went around, got the guy. I said, he said, you said this about him. Is that true? <laughs> is it just the way I was? The Lord had to help me mature a little bit because both those guys were about crying over it, you know. Now, understand this, Jesus, Jesus, I know we'd like to make this picture, picture and, and at some level you can make a good argument for it, but I think Jesus was not selfless, and he wasn't selfish. He was not selfless in that Jesus understood his worth and value and why he was on this planet. There's no way he's here, and he doesn't understand the value that he has. God doesn't expect you to think that you're of no value. That's wrong emotions. You're of value to him so much that he gave his only begotten son, that he bought you with a price. So Jesus understood his value. He wasn't selfless in that aspect. Other ways I could say he's selfless, but I'm saying in that aspect of not understanding his value, he understood. But he was never selfish. By that I mean this, he valued everyone else. And my emotional health, uh, it really plays out when I understand that there's value in my life. I'm not higher than others because of that value, but everyone else has value as well. You hear what I say? Because here's what, here's, what, here's, what, here's what the flesh would like to do. The flesh would like to prop you up higher than everyone else and pl place low value on other people. 
Jesus did uh, the, the, the exact opposite of that. He understood value, but he didn't put himself above other people. He came to serve, not to be served. He came to give himself as a, as a ransom for many, to lay down his life. And in that, yes, selfless. But I'm talking about an understanding the value of his life. Well, he, he, he understood his purpose. He said many times that I'm here to do the will of, him, of, of the one that sent me, of my Father in heaven. And I think when we understand this, when genuine love, I would say agape love, God-like love is released in a relationship, God's presence is manifest, and that's what produces community. And you won't do that being spiritually immature or being emotionally unhealthy. It takes both. It takes both. Matthew 22, Jesus said, said this, the greatest commandment, love God with, right, with, your, with, with your mind, with your, with your heart, with your soul, with your strength. And then love people, love your neighbor as yourself. That, I, that I'll never love neighbor like I should if I don't have a right relationship and view through God's word of who I am. I mean, when you read about who God says you are in Jesus Christ, it's powerful. It's powerful, right? God, God doesn't look at you as like, um, you know, and I know there's religions that do this where people are just, you know, unimportant and unvalued. God looks at you with value. And so understand who you are in Christ. Read Ephesians. Read the entire book. At least read the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, first and second chapter this week. It'll help you with understanding who you are in Christ. Understand who you are and then realize that God's put you, and this is the way it works in community with emotional health, God's put you in, in a mix of a group of people to value them. And then lastly, and I won't spend long here because um, I, was, I was telling uh, one of the guys before service, I said, you know, this is an area where, uh, the church gets it wrong so many times, and it's, it's your mental health. Your mental health. The way that you think, what goes on in your head is important. Um, and the truth is, emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. And let me add this, that mental health, again, which is not talked about very much, well, it's vital to my emotional and spiritual health. Uh, Romans 12 talks about the idea of, of not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. God, God wants to work in here to help you. And, and by the way, let me say this, because the church has, has gotten it wrong uh, in the past where they made, you know, going to a counselor or a therapist or someone that, can, that you can talk to to help you through your struggles, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. In fact, the Bible, I, I used it last week, there's, there's safety in the multitude of counselors. Right? Can the enemy mess with you in your mind? And can, can there be um, uh, spiritual strongholds that, that can be prayed away? Definitely. Definitely. Let's not, let's, not, let's not forsake one for the other. Right? Let's not, you know, I've, I've heard guys hammer that, you know, if you go to, to, get, to talk to someone about your mental health that you're wrong. No. You may need that. Know, know who you're talking to. Right? Don't go talk to just anybody. Because there's a lot of people who can mislead you. We understand that. I love what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, let me read the message. Just give me the message back there if you can do that. It says, if, if, if you've gotten, uh, I mean, Philippians 2, verse 1, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. 
agree with each other, love each other, be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God. Check this out but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. Become, became human. Having became, become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death, and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. In the, in the King James, it said, let this mind, and that uh, Philippians 2 there, verse 5 says, let this mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you also. And it's, it's, it's moving to a place of my mental health is going to get right when I start thinking the thoughts that God thinks about me. And you know he's thinking thoughts about you. Jeremiah 29.11 says that, says that he's given us a hope and future, not evil thoughts, but good thoughts God is thinking about you. That I, that I start understanding that, and then the, my frame of reference is not just this fleshly, worldly mind, but the mind of Jesus. More than, I, I, tell you, I tell you, here's a good study to do. You can do it in the new year. You can do it now. It doesn't matter to me. But read through the Gospels and just read about how Jesus, how he acts and interacts with people. Because if I can ever get to that place, well, that mindset, that mentality, well, that's healthy. That's healthy when you can understand that people say something, do something, act in a certain way towards you, and you just let it roll off your back like water off a duck's back. And you're able to raise, raise your head above it. That when you see injustice, you're so moved that you'll put yourself in the middle of that and make intercession for those that are being treated wrongly. Jesus. Jesus is the mindset I need. That because of, because of our spiritual, I mean, because of our mental health, we understand and know how to deal with our emotions and we push to grow spiritually. And our spiritual health impacts the way that we think. You want to be in community, you got to grow. I'll give you three of the areas. Certainly life is filled with, I said earlier, you meet a young person and they're mature in one way, in so many ways they're immature. It's because maturity is complex. There's a term that young adults use now called adulting. Anybody ever heard that? I remember having a conversation with a kid that was wanting to move out from their parents. I said, okay, you're going to do this and this. Yeah, I said, now all your roommates, who's going to buy the toilet paper? Well, they never thought about that. Maturing, maturing. Who's, right? Where, where, where's the question that you need to ask yourself in your spiritual health? Where do I need to apply, apply myself more to grow? In your emotional health, what emotions do I need to deal with? What is the baggage that's hanging on in my life? Sometimes it's, Lord, help me to know. And I'm not talking about digging into something that happened to you and trying to imagine it. And maybe you don't know if it happened or not. I'm talking about the reality of what you're dealing with today. What kind of baggage is that? And then your mind. 
fixing your mind on him. Fixing your, your, the focus of your thoughts on him, your gaze on Jesus.